he has a master six-degree black belt in Aikido and family in the Mafia. He's a cop. Stop the cop! With an attitude. One man. You just made number four on the most wanted list. One obsession. I want to be number one. One rule. You guys think you're above the law. Ain't above mine. Above the law. Hello, greetings, friends. It's Chapo. We're back again. Uh, me, Matt, and Felix coming to you today. But we're very lucky to be joined by our good friend and the official Chapo Canada correspondent. It's Dan Beckner coming to us live from the stew. Dan, what's going on? Uh, just taking a break from recording uh, to give you uh, breaking news in Canada. So, yeah, our Canada correspondent, you're north of the border. How are things up there? Because from what I can tell from my other Canada friends on Twitter, uh, you guys are having a hell of a time getting this vaccine. Uh, well, we fucked it. We, we fucked it up bad. Um, <laughs> turns out if you combine the worst elements of like rapacious capitalism and uh, the most bureaucratic, like sort of non-functional elements of late period socialism, you get a, you get a big old mess. What is what is Justin Trudeau doing up there? I mean, like, did, you, did they just not buy enough, or is there not, did America not give you enough uh, vaccine doses, or what's going on? Uh, you know, my personal opinion is that we should not have isolated ourselves from China and Russia because I would have uh, I would have Sputnik in me right now. <laughs> That's the one I wanted. Yeah, Sputnik's like one and done. I like mm-hmm. did not. I would have even if the the thing with Johnson Johnson was like one blood clot in every like. 30 billion people but like yeah no i would have taken one in two chances of a blood clot to do that well uh good news if you are um still seeking the vaccine uh, a bit a bit of good news um biden has said that he w- is seeking to waive the patent protection on uh these vaccines to the great consternation of pfizer and moderna um, but I mean, do you think that this is, is it suspicious or at least just an interesting coincidence that this happened like the day after Bill and Melinda Gates split up? Yeah, I don't know. That's that that seems extremely suspicious. And and uh, like, what is what is the uh, so what does this mean? Like that he can say that. But but then what happens next? Like, I mean, I would guess theoretically it means that like, you know, that the, the recipe for these vaccines would become uh, a public domain and that like, you know, countries like India or Brazil who have their own, you know, a biotech industry or have the infrastructure to produce these vaccines can, you know, just make them themselves rather than buying them or waiting to be given them by by America. Um, and I actually I have here, um, obviously, the uh, uh, <laughs> pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry and their lobbying groups are uh, not happy about this. So I just have here a statement um, from uh, the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. Uh, BioChair responds to Biden decision on vaccines. In a response to the Biden administration's decision to waive patent protections for COVID vaccines and raise global production, Dr. Jeremy Levin, chairman of the Global Biotechnology Innovation Organization, or BIO, issued the following statement. We are extremely disappointed by this decision. This is not just a matter of forcibly transferring IP and know-how from America to other nations. 
Bio, together with others, put forward a viable and robust plan to create high-paying, skilled jobs in America, which would have ensured not just high-quality manufacturing of vaccines, but rapidly accelerated delivery of these vaccines affordably to other nations. There was and is no need to rebuild factories around the world, which will not only take a long time to accomplish, but also the standards and capabilities that exist in America cannot be easily replicated or guaranteed. In the future, this decision will act as a disincentive to companies to respond to the next pandemic. So a uh, nice vaccine you have there. It'd be a shame if there was another pandemic uh, that you'd have to rely on us to create vaccines for. Oh, no, I'm going to get I'm going to have to get Sputnik two for COVID two. only have to make one appointment. That's terrible. Yeah, you got you. No, by all means, just hold the IP. Uh, our, our friend Jacob Bacharach made a. Uh, uh, he said on Twitter that uh, they, like basically the Nobel Peace Prize should be given to Melinda Gates's Pilates instructor for this. Yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> Heavily agreed. So, like, um, did you guys see that thing? Uh, you remember that article that everyone just completely memory hold that was like, yeah, Bill Gates actually had like extensive personal connections to Epstein and like, oh yeah, he was laundering his uh, donations. Yeah, to all those, uh, higher the ed- MIT well, media well, did, yeah. did you see that? That one thing in there where, where Bill Gates is like, I had a charming evening with the Swedish woman yes. and her daughter, and it's like, do you was Bill Gates getting side pussy? <laughs> is this why that happened? Did he like, did he buy a plane wife from Epstein? I don't know. Do you think we'll ever find out why this happened? I mean, why old billionaires would get divorced? It's like you can live in different time zones. Yeah. What the hell mm-hmm. difference does it make? Why yeah. would you go through the trouble? You could like Bill Gates, like if you're having problems with your wife, you could pay a billion dollars to like declare the pool house of your man, your main mansion to be like the Vatican, like its own country. Yeah. You can be like, okay, I'll live there. Yeah. You can make it into sea land basically. Yeah. I'll live in our 20,000 square foot guest house. It's like the uh, the I Love Lucy episode where like Desi like uh, paints a line down the house and he's like this is mine this is yours but you do that with an entire country yeah yeah he's he'll be damned though if in this divorce proceeding that she gets any of those foreskins <laughs> he worked his ass off to collect those fucking foreskins she's not getting any of them she stayed she was staying in Washington when he was in Africa getting those foreskins it would it's gonna be like uh, they're gonna be on like the people's court and she's gonna be like. No, those are my CRISPR babies, too. <laughs> I deserve those organs, too. You know, Matt, you, you think he's keeping, the, he's keeping all those foreskins, but you know, you know how divorce court is. You know how, they, you know how they, they persecute men. And, you know, and if it's just your wife, and if she decides to leave you, she can just say to the court, um, I'm, enti- I'm entitled to, like, a n- amount of foreskins that I've become accustomed to. The, and then well, he's you know what he should do is before that they before the court can take them from him, he should have all his buddies and homies over and just go nuts. That's right. Go yeah. nuts with the foreskin so that she doesn't have she can't have any. The, yeah. the real victim of billionaire divorce that no one ever talks about is the basement full of failed clones. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. who gets those? Like, are they, Kill are they, me. Are they just. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> you have to, yeah, someone's got to adopt these these things now. Yeah, like Melinda, like after she was like, I'm leaving, she goes into the basement and there's like 50 Agent 47 looking just like emotionless bald dudes with barcodes on the back of their necks that they've been taking like eyes and kidneys from. And she's like, I'll, I'll miss you the most. 34807. <laughs> <laughs> it's like their dog. 
Well, so I mean, and uh, the other funny thing about the uh, the vaccine waiver is that it's called like it's called the Trips waiver, which I think is a funny thing related to a global pandemic. Yeah, Captain Trips waiver. Captain, the Captain Trips, Trips waiver. waiver. Yeah, yeah, isn't that the name of the plague in the stand? Yeah, in the stand. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Good old tube neck. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, it does seem like. Uh, I mean, I, I, this is good news, though. I mean, like the, this was. This well, was we'll the, see. This was. The, I mean, the, the moral. I don't thing think to you do. can ever say anything's good news until it actually does something. That's true. Yeah, this could have like incredible negative consequences. Like Bill Gates could, like he just goes crazy and sterilizes like an entire continent, or it could have like you know small bad consequences like. Bill Gates is going to date a Tisch school, the performing arts girl, and he's going to go to Mood Ring and like suck toes there on Molly. I mean, or that, that now that it's, um, you know, like the, the IP has been waived so that like we can all create our own vaccines without getting sued. So we can have sort of artisanal batches of mm-hmm. uh, vaccine doses that, you know, you can just sort of share with your friends like a homebrew. I'm looking forward to developing Canvax, which will have the side effect of allowing everybody to post as well as uh, Eric Alper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's like, yeah. Well, when you take the AstraZeneca one, that's the only way that it rewires your brain. You have to so add that, a question like, mark to everything that you yeah, post. Yeah. You're, like trying, you're trying to like talk to your your like mom on her deathbed and you're like what's one album where the cover art doesn't match the lyrics <laughs> it's the last thing you say to her because of the eric alper astrazeneca the the canada one should um it should change the color of your skin <laughs> trudeau's waiting for one like that well uh speaking of speaking of canada dan uh you know like i said last last time last time you were on the show uh we sort of investigated the the, the the seedy Twin Peaks like underbelly of our neighbors to the north, yes. um, and just like the the weird way in which like Canada seems to have this like I don't know like weird flirtation or sort of uh, romance going on with Ukrainian nationalism. I would uh, I would go so far as to say a generations uh, generations deep very organized group of uh, sort of vestigial fascist organizations uh, representing different uh, diasporas that got their asses kicked in world war ii by the red army um but like the, the, this continues you said you uh have been doing some digging into one of these um victims of communism memorials like victims yeah. of communism is is some sort of like it's some sort of group and they keep track of like the 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 death count of communism which i think is a you know pretty much every human being that's died prior to now has been a victim of communism Anyone who stubbed their toe in Central Europe between 1917 and 1945, no, 1991 is a victim of communism, according to, uh, according to these groups. But yeah, so basically, I've been, uh, I've been digging into this Victims of Communism memorial that's getting built uh, with uh, my co-host Riley uh, on our podcast, Bottleman. Um, and what I... Do- <laughs> Basically, what I dug up was the origins of this monument uh, just basically come down to Jason Kenney visiting uh, visiting a park in Toronto uh, with the Slovak uh, or the Czech ambassador back in 2007 and seeing a statue that's called Crucified Again, which is basically a man tortured and crucified on a hammer and sickle. <laughs> And, <laughs> that's that's what really happened. And uh, because Kenny is uh, a, a Catholic, 
uh, and an anti-communist. This just gave him a this gave him a planning boner. So this is yeah, sent the, the thrill up his spine. Yeah, he got a little he got a little shiver. So he decided that it would be great if there was a bigger monument that everyone could go look at that wasn't in a private park. Um, and this kind of sparked off like years and years of fundraising. Um, an organization called Tribute to Liberty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, I mean, I, I love the statue that they have in New York Harbor. I mean, it's great. Yeah. I mean, if a, you're going to have a, a statue, go with the Liberty people. Yeah. They used to have one in Times Square called Come Tribute to Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Felix. That was Come Tribute to the Green M&M. That was the one that was in Times Square. <laughs> well, yeah, that represents Liberty. Yeah. You're right. because Lady Liberty is sort of a green M&M and that she's green and hot. Well, the communism could never invent like a candy that was a sexy woman. It's, it certainly could not true. have people vote on which color the sexy uh, candy should be. Boys, it's all about working the polls. Yeah, when no, Khrushchev was decided by central red. committee. When, when Khrushchev came to America, he treated like cut a hole in a billboard with the green M M&M and M on it and stuck his stick through it. He was just like driven into a frenzy and weeping. Because it was so powerful. There was nothing like that in Russia. <laughs> That's why he was hitting his shoe on the table. He was like, bring me the green M&M. I yeah. want to fuck it. Yeah. So, yeah, Kenny, in 2007, Kenny and Tribute to Liberty, which is a, which is a loose confederation of Banderites, like Ukrainian Banderites, Estonian anti-communist group, all these groups that worked with uh, anti-Bolshevik League of Nations and were... Um, in one way or another, sort of utilized by the Canadian government uh, during the Cold War to to discipline the left or or to you know spread anti-communist messages, they're all represented in Tribute to Liberty. And uh, between 2007 and 2014, they were kind of riding high. Like uh, David Frum and his sister helped them fundraise an incredible amount of money to build this thing. But then, and this is the short version, but then uh, Fidel Castro's illegitimate son was elected uh, Prime Minister of Canada. We all know Justin Trudeau. You're referring to, you're referring oh, to Justin Trudeau. Justin yeah. Trudeau. Yeah. 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 So uh, the Victims of Communism Memorial was seen as a conservative pet project by the incoming liberal government. And they, st- they defunded it as much as they possibly could. And, you know, you, they were sort of reduced to crowdfunding this thing. And this is, this is where I started digging in, digging into the monument. Like, so the crowdfunding aspect was if you wanted to support it, you could pay a thousand dollars and buy a brick and that brick would be numbered. And then, uh, on what they call the pathway to Liberty, which is a section of their website, you could write a little memorial. So the brick would be dedicated to whoever you want. So, a lot of people dedicated their bricks to uh, family members who they perceive to be victims of communism. Some people dedicated it to specific ideologies like liberty or freedom. <laughs> uh, and as I went through the list, uh, I, I started seeing the more problematic uh, category of dedications, which was historical figures. So let me guess. Yeah. <laughs> let me guess. That is historical they, they really I mean, you talk about this like it's their golden age, but it's like, you know, what heights they fell from, from crowdfunding to crowdfunding. 
<laughs> so so on the on the uh, victims of communism memorial, uh, there are tributes to people like Roman Shukievich, who is responsible for you know the deaths of forty to sixty thousand Jews in occupied Galicia. And most shockingly to me, Ante Pavlich, who is the fascist with the biggest body count, who's not named Hitler or Mussolini. So he also uh, he wasn't like persecuted. He escaped to Argentina after the war. He did. He and then did. He was assassinated. Uh, I guess the assassination yeah, is, yeah, that's is a communist uh, oppression. <laughs> well, not <laughs> only a victim of communism. Yeah. Yeah. Not only did he escape, but he was to killed by a Serb nationalist, not even by a communist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like he is he a fucking Argent- Chetnik who shot him. Yeah, and he he ran um, terrorist opera- operations with these uh, with uh, Ustache deadenders who were um, basically hiding out in Austria up until you know the late 1950s, early 60s. So Pavel Pavlovich also famous for his uh, fascist movement. The Ustache built concentration camps in Croatia, so they built a camp called Yazenovac. And when the uh, sort of SS delegation that was sent to oversee the building to check in on them uh, saw what he was doing, they cabled Berlin saying, you have to put the brakes on Pavlich. What he's doing is disgusting and it's going to make us look bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now now, now he has a brick, though. Now Now you can sponsor a a brick to the guy who built the concentration camp so fucked up that the SS thought it would make them look bad. That's right. right next to the brick that says free refills. Another <laughs> democratic value that we must protect from communism. So the yeah. uh, the last, you know, the, the last sort of thing that's happened with this monument, it, it was kind of it kind of seemed dead for a while. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, our new finance minister, Christia Freeland, uh, announced that the Victims of Communism Memorial is back on and getting four million dollars in public funds which is uh, about twice as much as they're giving to uh, victims of, say, residential schools in this country. $4 million. That's a, that's a lot of bricks. Million. So that's Canada's spending $4 million to memorialize uh, Ante Pavlich, basically. Doing a great basically job. Done. Uh, you mentioned uh, <laughs> David Frum and his sister were big boosters of this project originally. Yes, I bring him up because I, I just I, I saw I saw a tweet from him today that I that it just you reminded me of and I gotta share it now. So like uh, David Frum says this isn't a long thread about you know how irresponsible Tucker Carlson is for saying that like you know thousands of Americans have died from the vaccine, which is like hilarious and disgusting. But uh, like the the way Frum chooses to go at Carlson is so funny because like he he's attacking him for supporting the Iraq War too much. Which is funny because Carlson pretends that he doesn't now, but like, you know, mm-hmm. like he was vociferously in favor of, you know, uh, bombing the Arab world, um, you know, out of the Stone Age, as Christopher Hitchens would, was want of saying. But no, uh, he just says here to Carlson, it all it's all just sounds and images on a box to be spoken, then forgotten. Say one thing today, the opposite tomorrow. Urge a war on national television, then disavow it afterward as if it had nothing to do with you. It's cynical, but above all, it's cowardly. Like, did, did he donate his self-awareness to the Victims of Communism <laughs> Fund, too? I, I actually get what he's saying here. He's saying you got to ride with your homies. You, you can't act like you weren't on the team when, when we were get going into Iraq. That's fucking that's a punk bitch move. You got to fucking keep that. You got to keep the uh, I went to Iraq uh, bomber jacket like me. 
you're right. So like he he's getting mad at Carlson for fucking selling out the team just because it's popular yeah. now. Yeah, just because oh now nobody yeah. wants to talk, say they were in favor of the Iraq War. I'll I'll fucking say it. Well, he funny thinks that makes him brave. Yeah, well, like I I loved this thread for many reasons. Like one that it kind of had like the tone and format of like an intra DSA call out. <laughs> but with all the, like you know, sixty-year-old like Republican guys who supported the Iraq War, but also that from like his level of involvement that he portrays is, I supported it. Like he was yeah, just no, blogging, was, <laughs> like it was, a chief it was a bit more than that. You wrote and, the fucking line, asshole. Like you, what? It's like not only was David from going on TV to cowardly and cynically support this war, like, yeah, he was writing the words that actual government officials would go on TV or in front of the United Nations or the State of the Union to, uh, yeah, create this this fraudulent case for war that's killed probably a million people. I love I love the part in that thread where, you know, he kind of qualifies what he's saying. And he's, he's basically saying, like, I, David, from have grown and you, Tucker Carlson, have not. But then it's like. You know what? Like a month ago, he he published an insane, like uh, insane article about uh, Bi- Biden's migration problem, Biden's border problem. You know, he isn't. He's still publishing the same. It's the same from you know. Yeah, and like and, and doing the same thing the, for Iran that he was doing for Iraq, like you know, twenty yeah. years ago. David Frum, <clears throat> always I, a good, always good. Yeah, he's um. They should like put him on TV more because I'm fascinated what's happened to his head in the last five years. It's bizarre. It looks like he wakes up and drinks like 13 beers and then like gets stung by a bunch of bees. It's like yeah. it's so fucking bloated. I don't know what he's doing. He's he's filling a plastic bag with j- live jellyfish and just putting it over his head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks like he's fucking allergic to air. I think he looks nice. Well, yeah, that too. He's hot and I want to fuck him. (laughs) Really don't mind if you sit this one out. Okay, so, gang, we've talked about the victims of communism. But I think it's time that we uh, transition into talking about the heroes of communism, or one hero in particular. And this is just a, a bit of breaking news that I think represents, you know, one of the biggest international news stories of this year. Uh, Quoting from Reuters here, Venezuela's Maduro receives samurai sword gift from actor Steven Seagal. That's right. Actor is really short selling it. (laughs) Special agent, member of the mafia. Uh, uh, Bodhisattva. First white member of the Yakuza and the triad. Uh, Actor is civilian to have ever uh, defused a nuclear device. Yeah. That's right. Greatest actor or greatest uh, martial artist of all time. Proud Serbian citizen. Yeah. He's, um, yeah. This is, I really like this. Tagal has showed up in a lot of things like this. Like he did this in Serbia and he had like a thing where he was teaching Aikido to the Serbian military. Like if they ever, if they're ever in a bar and a guy walks towards them really squared up, they can just slap them on the back and make them fall over like in Seagal's movies. But yeah, so you know how like, uh, like G8 nations had Bono for a while if you're the target of American sanctions, you get Steven Seagal. Exactly. I mean, I'm looking at a quote uh, for him talking to uh, Vucic, the Serbian PM, and 
his quote is, he told them, I can do a lot here. I want to bring the whole film community here. All of it. I want to build <laughs> sort of a Hollywood film infrastructure here. That's right, folks. A Serbian film, too. <laughs> <laughs> he, he also promised to restore what the Serbs claim is the oldest Buddhist temple in, in continental Europe. He's going to use some of the bricks from the victim of communism <laughs> memorial that are yeah. left over. Right. I like that because he's like, make it sound like he's just like, hey, I'm still plugged in the movie industry. <laughs> yes. Uh, have any of my movies come out in theaters in the last 30 years? No. Have I, like, do they have to invent new streaming services to put on like a, a hard man or whatever the fuck I'm in? <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get like a twenty four out here. Uh, Steven Seagal has very deep connections with Mega Upload NZ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, just like uh, just reading the article, it says here, uh, Ven Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro received a samurai sword as a gift from actor Steven Seagal, who was visiting the South American country as a representative of Russia. State television images showed on Tuesday evening. Maduro, wearing a white face mask and a traditional Venezuelan black long sleeve shirt, positioned the sword over his shoulder as Seagal nodded and pointed an affirmation. The, Venezuela, the Venezuelan head of state maneuvers after drawing the sword, a state television narrator said, calling the weapon a symbol of leadership. I had a very friendly, affectionate encounter with Steven Seagal, Maduro said on Wednesday in a broadcast on television in which he referred to the U.S. actor as my brother. We talked about mutual friends like President of Russia, Vladimir Putin, because of his interests in protecting forests. So, I mean, this is, I mean, first of all, I don't know if you've seen Seagal lately, but he is larger good. than he's ever been before. He is, he is expanding in every direction, it seems. Like his head's getting bigger, his torso's getting bigger. It's like he's armor plating himself. He looks like he's carved out of a single block of wood right now. Like Someone said he looked like a like a baseball mascot of Steven Seagal, like he's wearing the suit and is about to do like a dizzy bat, you know, baseball run in between innings or something like that. But yeah, that's I mean, that's accurate. Uh a samurai sword, what a great gift to be given. And I mean, Felix, I know you've been trying to get an authentic samurai sword. So, I mean, like, you know, maybe ask Nicolas Maduro if you could see his. Well, I, I feel like, so Putin sends Seagal to you if you're like his, that's like a good deal for me. Like, I would be fine with accepting U.S. sanctions. That's fine. It doesn't really, like, affect my life. I'd have to change banks or something. But, like, whatever. We'll figure it out. But if that means that Putin is like Steven Seagal is going to come to your house and like give you a sword, it's like yeah, worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the question remains about this this sword that was gifted to Maduro, though. Um, can it be upgraded? Does it scale with strength? <laughs> Do you need titanite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, that's why the U.S. has been after Venezuela because they have the world's greatest titanite mines. And the the military, the U.S. military, all our guns are stuck at plus four. You gotta gotta get some shards. Uh, yeah. Going on here, it says uh, Maduro added that Seagal was in uh, Canamania on Wednesday, a national park in the country's southern Bolivar state, accompanied by Venezuelans, Venezuela's Minister of Indigenous Peoples. We are going to shoot a movie together that will be called Nico Ma Dura de Tumbar, a wordplay on his name, meaning Nico Ma is hard to knock down, Maduro continued. It is the new Steven Seagal film. We are going to fight the demons, the bad guys. I am Nico. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, 
I would love that to see that movie. That would be a a movie where like Seagal plays Maduro would be fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And he won't like it'll be nothing really like about politics. Like it'll it'll be like the plot of a good man or something. Like the plot of the movie is like the plot of all these movies, which is like there's a bunch of guys who need to die while Seagal is sitting down so he can have sex with a woman who's like 28 at the end while wearing you a know, leather jacket. Uh, Maduro started off as a bus driver, so they could just have him be driving the bus the whole movie, and then he never has to stand up. Get perfect. Perfect. Just runs over bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's talking to Juan Guiado. Your family hates you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. It is true. Yeah, no, nobody likes him. Nobody <laughs> likes Juan. He's trying, to, he's trying to climb over that fence, and like Seagal just sort of like rolls down a hill in an office chair. And he's like, <laughs> you take one more motherfucking step, I'm going to snatch every motherfucking birthday away from you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an awesome movie. Well, so, I mean, like, obviously... Uh, this is some very important Seagal news that's uh, that's breaking today, and you know, like uh, you know, we are, we have been long interested in the life and career of actor Steven Seagal. So I figured today would be a perfect time to share with you a mega profile of Steven Seagal that is kind of like the Rosetta Stone for his career. This is an article in the L.A. Times that came out in 1988, right before Above the Law premiered in theaters, and this was like. There's a new guy on the scene. Move over, Clint. You know, move over, Stallone. There's a new. There's a new. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Steven Siegel, pronounced Seagull. Um, and I got to credit uh, Andrew from Bunta Vista podcast for uh, finding this article. Um, he, he tweeted about it a while ago, and I took the old bookmark uh, folder because I, I thought this would come in handy at some time. And of course, it now is. So I would just like to share with you guys now. This is uh, the LA Times from 1988. Steven Seagal gets a shot at stardom by Patrick Goldstein. It begins, tall and lean with the rough good looks of a daredevil jet pilot, Steven Seagal is more than just a 6'4 martial arts wizard who can flip a man five feet in the air with a flick of the wrist. His fans proclaim that he's a star waiting to be born. And let's talk fans. Seagal has an enthusiastic film studio booster, Warner Brothers president Terry Semmel, a mega, po- a mega potent Hollywood agent pal, Michael Ovis, the fearsome leader of Creative Arts Agency, and a high-profile public relations firm, Rogers and Cowan, to go along with a model starlet wife, Kelly, the woman in red, LeBrock. Who can forget her TV commercial lament? Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. So this was in. This is when Steven Seagal had like the world at his fingertips. How? Uh, I never. How did he get famous? It must be some sort of organ harvesting scheme or something. It's so weird. It's so fucking weird because, like, you look at the people. That's around the time where people were like, okay, action stars have to be, like, kind of jacked and, like, athletic. Like, if they're not huge like Arnold, they have to be, like, JCVD. Like, yeah, they have to have, like, some sort of, Mm -hmm. yeah, athletic kinetic thing. He was always just, he always just stood there. Yeah. Even when he wasn't fat. (laughs) Like, think of the action stars at the time. It's, like freaks like superhumans like arnold and dolph lundgren or yeah. like yeah, yeah. you know J- john claude van damme who is like actually an amazing kickboxer and could do really cool stunts just on his own and then they're like we have the most stationary man in the world who's <laughs> imagine just like a, 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 a trying to do a like, fucking uh, a, a, uh the splits the yeah way that, so, 
the way that Van Damme did. We have a we have a balding Jewish thirty five year old <laughs> who never moves. He's the immovable <laughs> object. Yeah. yeah, but at least he's such a he's a great actor. Though. <laughs> he's so that got makes such... up for it. I mean, did you really want to come and fix my porch and get to know me, or was that just a lie too? I loved fixing your porch, and I'm very interested in you. See screen presence and charisma. Yeah. <laughs> Like one of the least charismatic film action film stars, like ever, <laughs> like ever in American history. Uh, it says here, uh, Seagal, thirty-seven, has a host of Hollywood power broker fans predicting he'll join the ranks of such action megastars: Arnold Schwarzenegger, age forty; Sylvester Stallone, age forty-one; Chuck Norris, age forty-seven; Clint Eastwood, age fifty-seven; and Charles Bronson, age sixty-five. This was <laughs> in nineteen eighty. Charles, Charles Bronson. Bronson Charles was still Bronson was th- doing Death Wish like nine with a feeding tube in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He goes on here and says, um, but it is Seagal who has never been, had never been in front of a camera before last spring, ready to make the leap to stardom. The box office receipts will be the final barometer, as in the bottom line. But if you want to see Hollywood's star-making machinery humming in high gear, listen to the story behind Seagal's sudden emergence as a bankable film star. Like, what, do you, what do you think, Matt? Do you think this will tell the real story here, or is this being massaged yeah, I'm sure. by Michael yeah. Ovitz at CAA? This is- this is a limited hangout about cigars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, is, this is very much just, just like his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> this is like okay. you know how Seagal, like his early marketing was like, yeah, I was a CIA assassin. It's like, mm-hmm. well, now I think like maybe because how else do you explain this? There had to have been some sort of deep state involvement. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, the article is going to get into that, and like I think Dan, you have it. You hit the nail on the head. This is the limited hangout about like you know this is. This, they're giving you just a, a, a tantalizing view of something that's true. But, you know, there's more going on here with Seagal. So it says here, um, a decade ago, he was living in Japan where he taught Aikido and by his account was recruited by the CIA to help carry out undercover <laughs> missions. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. The CIA goes to like karate classes and he's like, <laughs> yeah, and he's like who's the yeah. best adult here? <laughs> Who has the, the best belt? grown up? You know who else lived in Japan and uh, got recruited by the CIA is uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, and, yeah. and he wasn't even that good at karate, probably. <laughs> Steven Seagal was actually taught Aikido by Gary Powers. <laughs> uh, a year ago, he had returned to the States and was quietly running his West Hollywood-based Aikido Tenshin Dojo, a martial arts school where he still teaches three nights a week. Today... He is awaiting the April 8th release of Above the Law, a $7.5 million thriller from Warners in which he plays an embattled Chicago detective whose investigation of political corruption lands him in the midst of a CIA-connected Central American drug connection. I mean, first of all, that movie's seven point awesome. seven point five million dollars to make like a big like Hollywood like summer action movie is astonishing. But again, like that the plot summary, like people forget, like above the law was like super woke. Like it was like all about like the Golden Triangle, like CIA drug fucking connection. Yeah, just like uh, the first Lethal Weapon also was that. Yeah, no, like, right. there, there was a lot of shit in the eighties because the Ron Contra did happen, and some people noticed. They're like, <laughs> yeah, hey, our. Uh, our military and intelligence are just dealing drugs. That's weird. It's yeah, it's weird if you go back like over thirty years ago. Action movies like Yeah, there are a lot of really conservative ones, but some have like they have a more realistic understanding of the CIA than like, you know, Black Panther. Yeah. Or, or Zero oh, yeah. Dark Thirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zero Dark Thirty is like more 
unrealistic than any Steven Seagal movie. Agree. And, you know, like of of this era and like, you know, Seagal came in like, you know, this is 1988. This is like the, the, the tail end of the 80s. So like like most of the really like, you know, powerful, like right wing homoerotic 80s action movies had it begun to go on the wane. And Seagal really did kind of like usher in a new era of uh, like sort of, uh, yeah, like ac- action movies that um, a weren't homoerotic, but B also were kind of left wing. Like you'll forget, like if you'll remember, like his last big bite at the Hollywood Apple is when he made On Deadly Ground, mm-hmm. and apparently he had to cash in like all of those big supporters that this article lists. Like by then he had alienated pretty much everyone in Hollywood by you know doing things like you know being an abusive monster to literally everyone around him, um, getting choked out and shitting himself when a stuntman <laughs> chose to fight him on the set of uh, uh, Out for Justice. Got you know, punked can- by JCVD too. <laughs> Um, yeah, like he apparently he cashed in like all of his chips in Hollywood just so that he could have the last 10 minutes of On Deadly Ground be him delivering a sermon about the need to take care of the environment, to fight <laughs> big oil. Um, that probably did set the environmental movement back about 30 years. <laughs> like there was probably like tons of people who were probably getting into it. And then he's like. When you see a tree, that's just a stiff person. <laughs> You're like, this sucks. Let's pollute. <laughs> yeah, more proof that he's a CIA yeah, he's a, uh, operative. When he's doing black mo- propaganda. When you see a, a motherfucking river, you can't be put. You can't be putting no oil in that. You ain't get more rivers. And they're like, let's make the hole in the ozone bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys here. Uh, tomorrow, watch out, Arnie, Sly, Chuck, Clinton, Charles. Uh, he goes, um, as soon as I saw Stephen, I knew that given the right vehicle, he could become a major star, said Tony Ludwig, president of Imagine Films. The closest person I've ever seen that carries himself with the same kind of stature is Mikhail Barishnikov. <laughs> Mikhail <laughs> 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 Marishnikov. Stephen is smooth, powerful, and has this don't mess with me presence. It's almost as if he's a manufactured human being. Hmm. Oh, well, like, mm. this is speaking in code here. This is What are they talking about? Man, a manufactured human being. Did this, mm. this, what this guy is saying is only acceptable if he, like, die a rare, like, instant coke overdose, like, 10 seconds after this interview. <laughs> this is, like, that's the most coked-up thing to meet Steven Seagal, and you're like, he's graceful, he's beautiful, he's cool, he's the coolest fucking guy I've ever met, he's real as fuck. I, <laughs> I also like stories that he, are bullshit. In addition to being compared to Mikhail Baryshnikov, um, he also describes Steven Seagal, the first adjective he used to describe him is smooth. He's perfectly smooth. Even smoother now, one would argue. There are no edges on his body anymore. When I saw how smooth Steven was, I knew he was going to be even bigger than Chuck (laughs) Norris, who's famously not smooth. Yeah, Chuck Norris is a very rigid, bony man. Oh, he's very hairy, too. Yeah. It says here, of course, manufactured cuts both ways. With all these heavy hitters behind him, we're entitled to wonder... Is Seagal a bona fide discovery, or will be, uh, or or will be come off ju- as just another homogenized Hollywood hunk? Like the eighties, <laughs> oh, like, yeah, another Hollywood like, pretty boy like Steven Seagal. <laughs> I mean, like, is this just the product of like just like how on cocaine everyone was in the eighties, where they looked at Steven Seagal and they were like, "Here comes another A-list hunk, ladies, yeah. calm down." These are the same minds that uh, you know dumped millions of dollars into Howard the Duck. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is cocaine, and it's like if you 
if you see Steven Seagal and you're like, he's the most handsome man in the world and he's cool, and it's like, you couldn't go anywhere. Like, if you went to, like, the North Shore of Chicago and you just saw, like, a dumpy but tall Jewish kid on his way to his bar mitzvah, you'd be like, do you want to be an action movie star? <laughs> just has the same vibe as Seagal. I don't... It's... Coke must have been better back then, too, right? It was. Yeah. This yeah. shit was... Oh, it was fish scale. It's the only <laughs> okay, thing so, explaining this shit. All right, well, well here's a perfect example. Uh, it goes, uh, quote here... Stephen has the most amazing presence you've ever seen, says Ludwig, who met Seagal when Ludwig was a creative artist agent. When he walks into a room, you can see every head, male and female, turn around as if they're all wondering who this guy is. It's sheer magnetism. Who is that guy who was sexually harassing me yesterday? (laughs) When he walks into a room, you could see him dart to the nearest chair and not leave it for hours. (laughs) When he walks into the room, it's sheer magnetism. He makes everyone take their clothes off in front of him, male and yeah. female. And it's they been, do it because he's so powerful. It's because the material that Seagal is made up of is so dense. It's like a neutron star that's gravity. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, he's like he's a like different non-terrestrial matter. Like his his like fake hair, it probably like if you touch it, it has the same coating an oil as like a mix fur <laughs> it's covered in rich lanolin yeah yeah he's like yeah it's like if you shook his hand it would you'd probably like get lost in it you'd get sucked in it's like an abyss <laughs> so he goes that continues okay so he's magnetic but can he act or is it enough to project a steely-eyed stare and a rugged set of pecs in person seagal <laughs> is shy self-effacing eager to make a good impression. Unaccustomed to such scrutiny, he had mixed emotions about spending several days with a reporter, alternating between being curious about the process and wary of the intimacy. Ludwig wasn't exaggerating. When Seagal sweeps through a restaurant, quickly crossing the room with his long, supple strides... (laughs) 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 Okay, like, remember... Think of every scene in a Seagal movie where he runs and think of those as long, supple strides. Like he he runs like a like a gorilla would like like he, the way his arms move it's just it's very odd. This man has limited flexibility. Like <laughs> yeah, he runs like he's he's like carrying an invisible souffle. <laughs> 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 like can't alter its tra- trajectory too much. So he goes with with his huge hands, finely sculpted cheekbones, and quick cat like movements. Oh, Seagal no. radiates. <laughs> what the fuck, man? This is like. This is like street harassment. Like, I never thought I would think this, but it's like, this is a reversal of fortune. Like, this article is sexually harassing Steven Seagal. Seagal radiates plenty of movie marquee sex appeal, and his martial arts (laughs) expertise seems to offer plenty of action film credibility. But what really grabs your attention is his voice. And I gotta say, like, same. I mean, that is is mostly what I notice about Steven Seagal is, wait... I'm just gonna. I'm gonna tell you one motherfucking thing about the way I talk, which is I never. I, I'm always whispering. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna take you to the bank, Senator Trent, to the blood bank. <laughs> 
And he goes, uh, whether he is recounting his exploits overseas or wondering about his box office reception, he speaks with a hushed conspiratorial purr as if he were worried that a tiny man hidden under the floorboards might be taping the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Literally, think he I- actually <laughs> thinks because he knows that the, the Soviet, he has intel that the Soviets have created tiny people who can <laughs> overhear conversations. That is such a cocaine like whatever that is like literary device it's like you, there's so many things you could use there be like oh there's a listening device or someone's uh eavesdropping it's like no a, sm- a six inch man is living in the floor <laughs> like what like was it just like 90 percent of adults were on cocaine all the time back then yes yes yeah. it's probably it's a better time he goes here. It's always Absolutely hard to predict was. how film critics will respond to a new actor, but judging from an early rough cut screening of Above the Law, Seagal appears to have the makings of a believable action hero. As a Chicago undercover cop at odds with federal authorities, he seems at home in front of the camera. Whether he's manhandling drug kingpins during a car chase, coolly interrogating suspects, or preaching against the excesses of CIA hitmen. While Seagal demonstrates plenty of agile macho moves, he often chops his way through half a dozen thugs at a time. He also projects an air of quiet intelligence. <laughs> he looks like he, <laughs> he looks like he could really pursue a complicated investigation, a quality missing with Norris Schwarzenegger or Bronson. Okay. Mr. Egg really looks like he's talking when they put the peanut butter in his mouth. <laughs> I Okay, like okay, sure. You could take your shots at Norris or Schwarzenegger being like, "Oh, like they don't seem like they're smart enough to be a cop." But Bronson, come on. Bronson, Bronson yeah. has he has the cool cat like grace and intelligence and a smooth beautiful body. He, Bronson <laughs> was a very smooth like almost marbled man. He really was. Yeah. Didn't Seagal actually become a police officer for a while? Yeah, he was oh, a yeah. uh, like a, like a, some, some parish in Louisiana. He was a sheriff's yeah. deputy. And then <laughs> he was wor- he worked with Sheriff Joe in Arizona too. They ran over a, a like a dog kennel or something. Yeah, they, that's, that's right. how you know he was a real cop. He killed a dog. It wasn't yeah, just that is, that's what you got to do. You're not a cop until you have at least one collar uh, hooked to your belt. Yeah, well, Dan, he did have a reality show on A&E that was called Steven Seagal Lawman. Oh. And he would just, like, drive around in this, like, huge black SUV wearing, like, neon-tinted see-through like, goggles. <laughs> <laughs> and he would just he would drive around and... You know, it's just most of the shows, just him in the car, just like just total bullshit. He's like, I've been around these streets a long motherfucking time. I, you know, I know everything that goes on here. And then, like, he would. There is this really weird thing in the show where he would be like, uh, th- it wasn't him saying it. They're like, Steven Seagal goes into an extra sensatory state where he can sense potential crimes. Oh, he's committed. like pre-crime. <laughs> yeah, he's minority yeah, he, reporting. Like he, he's he's doing pre-crime. Well, it is minority report because every time they like bring it up and like they change the tint of the lens to show. Yeah, it's he's like it's doing Seagal that. vision. Yeah, it, when he's doing Seagal vision, oh, it dude. always it always ends with him just like. Pulling up alongside like a black pedestrian and being like, well, what's going on? Here, brother? <laughs> like, the guy's like, like, he's not doing anything, but it's and like, the, it's implied like, oh, he stopped a crime. <laughs> like, well, I'm so like, fucked. I remember from Lawman, like the only arrests he actually made were of just like random black guys in Louisiana who had attachments for like missing a court date or parking fines or something. S- yeah. Steven Seagal, he- truant officer. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and he'd, and be, they, he'd be handcuffing them, and they'd be like, 
damn, is that Steven Seagal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was it was great because it was like he's a res- like he never like got anyone into serious crime. It was all like, yeah, bullshit, like parking tickets they forgot to pay. Like things you should never actually be arrested for. But like the thing like his narration and shit was so self serious. It was like if there ain't no law, shit gonna break down. <laughs> it's like you need laws in society. So going on here, it says one night last summer, a local attorney was drinking with several crew members at a Rush Street bar. Are you sure this movie will ever be released? The lawyer scoffed. Who's ever heard of this Seagal guy? The crew members were indignant. Hey, just wait and see. One said, Seagal is no lightweight. One of his star students is the most powerful agent in Hollywood. No one's going to mess with this film. Ovitz declined to be interviewed for the article. He rarely speaks to the press. CAA has a company-wide gag rule about giving interviews. However, Steven Seagal denied having instructed Ovitz in Aikido. Coming from my lips, I don't teach him the martial arts on a formal basis, he said. (laughs) Michael does love martial arts, and we talk about it all the time. But that's the extent of it, despite what you may have heard. So he doesn't give he didn't give Michael Ovitz to CAA formal martial arts training, but he did discuss it with him on a spiritual level. I love to get informal martial arts training from a from a total psychopath. It's just like yeah, I don't have a instructor. I have a martial arts consultant. Yeah, these are all the woman killing moves. <laughs> uh, I would I would give anything to hear their martial arts conversations. That would actually be the best podcast ever. Uh, totally coked up Michael Ovitz, Steven Seagal, talking about how like you can you can generate a sword with like key. <laughs> uh, so Seagal isn't shy about voicing his view of his relationship with Ovitz. Crouched on an exercise mat at his West Hollywood dojo, saying goodnight to his last class of the day, he seemed especially thoughtful as he explained his kinship with the Hollywood dealmaker. Michael and I are very close. We love each other, Seagal said. I'm like a guru to him. (laughs) (laughs) Steven Seagal, guru to the Hollywood dealmakers. I like how with that thing, like, it shows how much more insane Seagal got with time. Because it's like, in the 80s, it's like somewhat believable. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a guru to Michael Ovis. It's like, yeah, whatever. You teach Aikido to, like, Hollywood losers. But... Then by 2008, he was like, yeah, I'm actually Anderson Silva's instructor. I taught him how to. I taught him and Lyoto Machida, like the UFC middle and light heavyweight champions. <laughs> like I taught them so much shit. And then in 2017, he lays it into reality by uh, teaching the uh, Serbian version of Oman how to do like uh, kill kill strikes with their hands. <laughs> yeah. uh, going going on here, it says... <clears throat> If you have a hit action movie, you can have it a hit everywhere, Simmel said. Action films translate particularly well overseas. Cobra, for example, did twice the business internationally than it did here. I mean, once again, like foreign audiences, like it's just you have to go. They're the only ones who appreciate true art. Like the fact that that, that Cobra did twice as well overseas and in America just shows that America's American film going audiences don't know how to appreciate like an art film like Cobra. Stone classic by George P. Cosmatos. Absolutely. Um, so going on here, it says, uh, Semmel said that he first met Seagal socially. I knew he was an aspiring actor, that he was physical, very powerful, and that he was a good-looking guy. And as we got interested in, in him, we went on the theory that his appeal wouldn't necessarily be limited to martial arts, that he had the persona and the physique to be a potential star. Agree. 
uh, I don't think it was just a matter of anyone replacing Clint. He's gone far beyond being just an action star, Semmel said. But when you look at action stars, it's a very short list. Stallone, Norris, Schwarzenegger, maybe a couple of others. The key question is, who's that rare young guy coming up who can handle those physical roles? We think Steven could be it. Semmel searched for the right words. Steven seems to exude this enormous sense of focus and intensity. He has this serious look that, well, when you look at him, you see danger. Yeah. Yeah, no, okay. True, yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, danger is something that Seagal says he has seen plenty of. Born in Detroit and reared in California, he left home at 16, eventually moving to Japan in 1968, where he devoted himself full-time to the study of martial arts. By the end of his 15-year stint there, he had become a respected figure in the field. His accomplishments have been widely chronicled in martial arts magazines, which note that he became the only Westerner to operate his own dojo in Japan. While teaching there... Seagal discovered that his classes were populated with an unusual assortment of students. Students who, as he put it, worked for a particular agency. The Central Intelligence Agency. (laughs) In Asia, he goes, in Asia, you'd be amazed how many people are connected with the agency. Seagal explained one night on on the film set in Chicago where he was fighting off a migraine headache. A lot of the American military has been over there since the occupation. And they become very connected to the intelligence community. These guys are my students. They saw my abilities, both with martial arts and with the language. My CIA godfather told me he'd never heard any American speak Japanese so well. I would say I was the prime <laughs> candidate to be recruited. So no, you know, he no just, Japanese. He just say guy. gibberish, and because in Japan everyone's very polite, they just like would nod at him, and you just assumed that he was a fluent speaker. I like how it's, like this in bad. He's like. Yeah, I'm so good at Japanese that like, and he he's a liar. But instead of saying like a J- Japanese guy was like, you're the you speak Japanese better than anyone I've ever heard who's from America. It's just like another white guy from America telling him <laughs> that. It's like what? yeah. I also like um, what was the recent Seagal movie we watched like last year? General Commander. General Commander. When he's like when they're um getting kicked out of the country. And the woman goes, I'm not going to leave. Asia's my home. <laughs> like, so he's been using that for a while. So we, we know he wrote that movie yeah. because he also thinks Asia is a country. Um, the, other, the other thing I really like about yeah, like him filling in his backstory here, he's like, when I was running my motherfucking Aikido dojo, <laughs> I, was recruited, I was recruited by a particular agency. I'm not going to name them. And then in the next paragraph, he's like, my CIA godfather speaks <laughs> Japanese better than any motherfucker on the planet. It's so good. So he goes, here, He's awesome. Uh, he says, I was a prime candidate to be recruited. Did Seagal actually work for the CIA? He offered a qualified admission or perhaps a qualified denial. You can say that I've lived in Asia for a long time. And in Japan, I became close to several CIA agents, he said, choosing his words carefully. And you could say, that I became an advisor to several CIA agents in the field and through my friends in the CIA met many powerful people and did special works and special favors. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could say that my handler sent me to what is now known as Myanmar while I was sent through the jungle to assassinate Kun Sa, the opium warlord, and head Sean Stay. You could say so- that. He's doing such a bad job of being yeah. like, I, I can't tell you. He's doing, he's doing the Sam Ace Rothstein thing. Like, you, you could say that day to day, I run the casino. Yeah. <laughs> he's 
awesome. Rules. It was, yeah. <laughs> he goes, Seagal declined to offer many details, refusing to cite <laughs> specific <laughs> missions or locales. However, when asked about the authenticity of a scene oh, in Above the Law that shows an intelligence operative injecting a rival with a deadly chemical truth serum, Seagal said, that's not made up. That's something that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better it gets better however Seagal spoke freely about his involvement in security operations for the Shah of Iran when he was deposed in 1979 we helped set up safe houses in London and Paris so the Shah and his family could flee the country we were also aiding members of the Shah's family who were under the threat of death from, the, uh, from Ayatollah Khomeini's killing judge it was incredibly barbaric. They were randomly executing people. It was like something out of the Hitler era. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, like I'm in my Hitler, Hitler era. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was like something out of the Hitler area. And he goes, um, one of the Shah's nephews wouldn't leave. So we had to hit him over the head and try to take him out unconscious. But he, <laughs> but he, but he insisted on going free. So we finally had to let him go. We warned him what would happen. But he left. Later that same day, he got shot in the back of the head. <laughs> he's, saying, he's saying, I was trying to knock out the Shah's nephew, but he didn't want to be rendered unconscious. And then they shot him in the back of the head. Yeah, so he like took like a brick, hit him in the back of the head, and was like carrying him by his collar. It was like a cub, like it was like a bear carrying a cub. And then he like woke up while being dragged and was like, no, I want to, I don't want to travel this way. And he's like, I'm going to fucking warn you. I'm going to you. I'm going to warn you one motherfucking time. It's like the Hitler era out there. <laughs> I like to imagine that's oh, all man. true and that, you know, Seagal was actually part of like Ari Ben Menache's, uh, you know, plot to sell surface to air missiles to Iran. That would, I mean, like, the people, the actual people involved in Iran Contra were not much different than him mm -hmm. but like that would be if he did that actually it would be cool because it's like imagine like one day you're in charge of the country like you have all this petroleum wealth you're it you know top of the world and then the next day it's like you have to leave and not only that but like you're being escorted out by like this dumbass <laughs> by, like, like, by, it's like i can understand why you might go you know what i'm gonna take my chances yeah it's like you're not the king anymore and also like you have to be on like a 19 hour plane ride while this guy is like and that was the first time that i met miles davis and he said <laughs> he had never seen anyone do aikido or play jazz quite like me <laughs> and that's why they called me achichiko namore which mean which means the thunderous white man <laughs> in their traditional language. Well, Just like, that for 19 hours. It's like Argo, you know, like you have to flee the country and the guy that, yeah, the guy they send has like the world's most ridiculous ponytail. <laughs> just like is wet all the time run, can't run constantly <laughs> has to stop to like breathe yeah it's yeah. telling you the most like bullshit stories you've ever heard <laughs> looks like he's wearing two bulletproof vests but it's not somehow <laughs> mr. now mr hugh hefner is a friend of mine and he would uh, was a target of assassinations by the soviets who are most similar to a Hitler type of event and he would have me 
test the vaginas of playmates to make sure they weren't <laughs> they wasn't poisoned because I learned the art of dealing with poisons when I was in the land of Myanmar. <laughs> Seagal said that he had done more security, more recent security work, including work for South African Bishop Desmond Tutu and mm. the late Egyptian President Anwar Sadat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Great job there with Sadat. Yeah, yeah nice <laughs> work, dude. Uh, fucking... Magazine of AK rounds to the face. Well, they, were, they, what were you doing? They were really smart. They put a chair near him. <laughs> <laughs> it was magnetically drawn to it. So it says here, yeah, he's done security work for uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu and Anwar Sadat. But he says, but only for jobs for people who are, quote, special to him. My wife... <laughs> my so wife the, and I... The Shah Desmond Tutu... <laughs> Sadat. Those are like those are the three best rulers in the world. <laughs> those are his favorites. And he goes, My wife and I just had a baby girl. So I'm trying to stay semi retired and away from a lot of these things. Only when you get some distance from these stories do you begin to wonder just what kind of act this would be actor has. Is he on the level or is he just blowing smoke, playing the part of a scruffy character lifted from a Ross Thomas thriller? I'd be very happy if nobody believes me, Seagal said, without a trace of irritation. I don't think you can find anyone in the agency who can prove they work for the agency. That's the whole point. I did some... (laughs) (laughs) It gets better. He goes, I did did some work for the White House recently for a committee where everybody had top secret security clearance. And when they checked up on me, they couldn't find any data on me. They asked the agency who refused to confirm or deny who works for them. That's why I see no reason to go public with any details. I might or might not know, but I could tell you stories. <laughs> He's saying, I have top, secu- top level security clearance. Nobody can confirm or deny that I exist, but I do have some stories. <laughs> Uh, Seagal's Seagal's voice trailed off for a moment as he squeezed his (laughs) temples, trying to soothe his headache. You know, it's not like a movie. If they wanted to, they could get people to come over and get me tonight. Who is they in this sentence? (laughs) The the agency, the agency's enemies, I don't know. He goes, uh, Seagal was right about checking his story. If you call the CIA, a public information officer dutifully explains if asked the question every day, we don't discuss employee records. Mm. No, we can't confirm or deny anyone's involvement with the agency. Asked about Seagal, a Washington insider with ties to the intelligence community, said that it would be unlikely that someone who worked for or with the CIA would publicly acknowledge such activity. Maybe so, but don't tell that to Gary Goldman, a close friend who offers substantiation for Seagal's claims. The 46-year-old Army veteran is perhaps best known as one of the key participants in an unsuccessful 1982 Laotian POW rescue mission oh, led no. by yes. retired, retired Green Beret, Lieutenant Colonel James Bo Gritz. I love So, Bo wow, Gritz. another complete bullshit artist confirms this. Confirms the narrative uh, that Steven Seagal did indeed help uh, rescue American POWs from Laos in 1982. <laughs> Bo Gritz is awesome. Like, he was, you know, if you ever listened to, like, sort of, uh, like, uh, conservative radio in the 90s, he would have ads that were like, you need to buy gold. Like, Clinton's going to take all the money. The most annoying thing about that guy is that his name is spelled Gritz, and he insists on pronouncing it Gritz. Oh, like, fuck, fuck off. you, dude. Fuck right. off. Yeah. You're Bo Gritz. 
It's like you're you're like a the the proprietor of a of a chain of uh like fast casual barbecue restaurants. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, greets uh, greets sounds like a Prussian warrior, and not an American liar, which is what he is. <laughs> uh, Goldman has been described in newspaper accounts as a soldier of fortune trained in anti-terrorist techniques. <laughs> However, uh. he prefers to dub himself an unconventional warfare and intelligence specialist. I love it. A short man with a mustache and a muscular build who is an avid marathoner, Goldman keeps a low profile. When Seagal first gave the reporter Goldman's phone number, he referred to Goldman by the codename of Carol. After speaking with the reporter several times over the phone, Goldman provided his real name and agreed to meet for an interview at a breakfast spot in Brentwood. I when love some- doing all this like trade craft in like Silver Lake and shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like, like, like he's doing like dead drops and shit. Like, like in fucking LA. What a fucking loser. Is this the beginning of like the cult of the shadow operator here? You know, like <laughs> kind of, yeah. The way of the shadow wolf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forward by Sheriff Joe. When something is going on in the world that Uncle Sam would like to influence but doesn't want to get directly involved in, the problem gets handled in a covert fashion, said Goldman, who drives an ivory Alfa Romeo and said he served several tours of duty in Vietnam from 1965 to 1969. Low profile. (laughs) An agency's case officer will find someone who's not officially connected with an agency, which is euphemistically known as a contract agent who can perform that job. I think it would be fair to say that at some point in time, Uncle Sam recruited Stephen because he thought he had particular talents that would prove useful on certain assignments. And this shadowy Uncle Sam figure, is, it, is he the CIA? It could be the CIA or several other intelligence organizations that might be conducting clandestine operations. They could be the Office of Naval Intelligence or the Intelligence Support Activity, which is a unit of Army intelligence. Goldman tapped his hand on a coffee cup. I know this much. I've been out with Stephen on several missions, and he knows how to get things done. He has a certain high level of skill that you don't just pick up reading fantasy magazines. I don't think anyone would question his capabilities. Goldman said Mm -hmm. he and Seagal first bumped into each other in Asia, then later home in the States, where they, as he put it, had reason to share information and worked (laughs) on several jobs together. What kind of jobs? Again, Goldman was extremely circumspect. One involved the recovery of some items that were someplace they shouldn't have been. (laughs) (laughs) He lost his keys. Yeah. 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 This is all stuff like, yeah, he assisted me in a kinetic materials operation. Yeah, he helped me move. Yeah. We, we, were, we, were, we, were, <laughs> we were hired by a certain three-letter agency to ascertain the whereabouts of a certain calorie-based delivery that was <laughs> intercepted on some point in between Silver Lake and Brentwood. We neutralized it. <laughs> we neutralized the package. These guys are such dickheads. I love them. They're like, these guys definitely hung out, and they were probably just both doing weird shit pretending to be in the CIA. And, like, not even running a game on each other. Just, like, they're convinced of it. They're just, like, yeah, going to, Brent, like, going to like Brentwood Market and, like, leaving a newspaper on a bench. So one knows to meet the other, and they're not connected to anything. They're just dickheads. It's, remember, just a, fun, it's, it's a fun way to hang out with your friends through yeah, dead drops. Yeah, we should do that. I remember being a kid and, uh, like, like just convincing myself that I knew how to do exorcisms, and then just by proxy, <laughs> my, my friend also was like, I think I have these powers, too. And then um, we, we did an exorcism on the uh, elementary school, like, uh, tool utility shed. 
I think it's the same. I think it's the same thing. I think like, yeah. like what Felix is saying. Yeah. No, yeah. Th- these are like they're both like thirty-eight-year-old men, but they're like basically eight-year-olds. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> just so full of shit. It's awesome. Dan, my version of that story was like, I remember I was in grade school and like for the first time ever, uh, like America Online and the internet was a thing. And then like in library class, the librarian, you know, showed us how to like. You know, showed us like logging in, and you hear all like the hiss and the static, and and like, and they're like, "This is what the internet is." Yeah, and this was also coincidentally at the exact same time the movie Hackers had come out. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, we have a zero bug attacking all login and all the way files. Run antivirus. Give me a systems display. A rabbit is in the administration system. Send a flu shot. Rabbit flu shot. Someone talk to me. And I had just seen it in theater, and I, was, I remember sitting in the library with my friend, and they were like, uh, "What's this?" And I'm like. It's the internet. And then I was like, I could show you how to do some real stuff with this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't I can't I can't speak on it now. I gotta wait till third period recess, but I'll let you know. I'll show you the dark pretty, web, the dark some side. real shit. Yeah. I can I can do some hacking with you. <laughs> so he goes, um uh Another time, we were hired to do a quiet investigation, which could confirm the location of someone who was, well, an unpleasant sort of person who our employers wanted to locate because he had caused problems for people. Like he's he's talking about a guy who didn't pick up his dog shit in like in in in, in Los Feliz or something like that. Yeah. I represent a three letter agency, and it's the homeowners association. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what did they do with him after they located him? Who knows, Goldman said with a shrug. Maybe just wanted to talk to him. Maybe take him to Jesus. Whatever. Will <laughs> I, This is awesome. Like, telling a reporter, like, he might have killed somebody. <laughs> like, some murderer. Can I ask again what what publication this is in? I'm just this curious. Is the, this is the LA Times. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, what a... The 80s the were... Ma- uh, the major newspaper. Damn. Like, one of the biggest newspapers in the country. Like, the I newspaper of Los Angeles. And they were like... Um, is is this new and up and coming action star? Did he do murders for people? <laughs> for the- <laughs> this, is, this, this is the best. It's like yeah, this is like if there was an article in the New York Times that's like, um, yeah, Johnny's uh, dad is actually the ultimate warrior, and he he did he did a move on uh, one of his bullies at school and killed him. <laughs> The average moviegoer may see above the law as just more Hollywood action with duplicitous secret agents, sleazoid drug dealers, and an avenging hero. As director Andy Davis put it on film set one afternoon, what we're really doing here with Steven is making a documentary. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Again, how, like, like how much coke do you have to be on to say that like even as a joke or like even as just marketing bullshit for a movie? What we're really doing here with Steven Seagal's Above the Law is a documentary. Agreed. <laughs> this is a cocaine-based consensus reality that is formed yeah. around these people. I, I wish I lived back then. This was <laughs> oh, man, it was awesome. awesome. God. Seagal's you can just make anything reality. Yeah. Because like we may, we're making fun of like LOL trying to turn this like this charisma vacuum with the drawn on uh, hair into a celebrity and then he did they did it no they actually did he was a big hit mm-hmm. he was a big star and it's like the types of lies you could do like now the lies you do are like it's like the last like unverifiable thing where it's like oh my god I was on the subway and this guy was reading Infinite Jest and you know I like did a clap back and everyone cheered or like the conservative version of that just like a human interaction that no one can really verify where you won 
But like before the internet, you could just be like, yeah, I've killed 37 people. (laughs) (laughs) I I taught karate to everyone in the military. I was involved in Watergate. And it's like no one could. I mean, someone could like call places and figure it out. But it's like you're seeing now like this is a reporter. And they're calling places, and it's like it's inconclusive whether he's killed two people in L.A. recently or not. Because here, Seagal's character, a former CIA operations officer in Vietnam, discovers that the agency is linked to domestic political corruption, a Central American drug connection, even an impossible assassination attempt of a prominent U.S. politician. But Seagal insists that the fiction is only a slight exaggeration of the truth. Some of his charges, particularly those about CIA-inspired disinformation and attempted coups, are no more grandiose than the admissions of the late CIA director William Casey made in Vail, Bob Woodward's controversial tale of CIA chicanery, um, which is a a totally fraudulent book to begin with. Um, And much of the film storyline could be adapted from this week's headlines about Panamanian strongman General Manuel Noriega's alleged alleged ties to U.S.-backed Contra rebels and international drug runners. Man, it's 1988, (laughs) yesterday's news. This is great. However, you need a more conspiratorial mindset to buy some of Seagal's other beliefs. He suspects Uh-oh. that he, he suspects that AIDS may have originated with a botched CIA chemical warfare experiment, mm. a charge the U.S. government has claimed surfaced through Soviet disinformation campaigns. And yes, wow. he's also a conspiracy theorist when it comes to John F. Kennedy's assassination. When a visitor seems skeptical, Seagal snapped, if, if you can't figure out what went on behind the Kennedy assassination, then you're not only not a rocket scientist, but you must have an IQ of about 16. This I mean, is cor- correct. I love this because it's like, well, we don't know if he's like killed two people recently or is like a CIA sniper and is the most respected man in Japan. Like that's all. I mean, probably he's right about that. But like, get a look. Wait till you hear what he actually believes that the CIA was involved in the Kennedy assassination. I mean, this is the limited hangout thing. I mean, I think that's why they built up his career because they're like, let's make this like one of the most ridiculous liars ever into like the world's yeah. biggest yeah. action star. Yeah. And then he'll start spouting all this bullshit about like the covert ops he ran with a, a certain three letter agency. But he's also going to say things like uh, the CIA was involved in the Kennedy assassination and Manuel Noriega was connected to Contras who were running drugs for the United States government. He goes here. Uh, Seagal often sounds like a zealot eager to exercise the evil heathens. The heathens in this instance being his former comrades in skullduggery. The whole motivation behind me doing this film was me trying to make up for all the things I've seen and done, he said. I'm tired of, I'm tired of seeing us try to destabilize governments, prop up dictators, and get involved with drug smugglers and crooks. I mean, you know, once again... Like, he could, he could be telling the truth, folks. Um, I have very personal reasons, too, even if they are sort of embarrassing, even humiliating. There was a time when I thought I was doing a good thing with good guys for a good cause. Looking back, I think I really wanted to be a warrior. Seagal <laughs> fell silent. Mission accomplished. Seagal <laughs> fell silent. It's as if you go through a time in your life when you had to prove something to yourself. And the proof came from doing something brave or dangerous. For a while, I had this uncontrollable urge, this addiction to danger. Now I look back and I think, gee, what an idiot. I was risking my life just for the sensation of it. So there you go. 
Limited and, uh, powerful. I mean, the, the article goes on for like another three thousand words. Yeah, but like you know, I, I I think we I think we covered like the the the, yeah. the main good parts of it, which is his his connections to covert ops and like the the limited hangout that is his whole career. And I think like you know. It, to, to mix in the truth with all of these like insane, obvious lies is is really interesting to me because as Matt pointed out in the beginning of it, his career makes no fucking sense. It's like, insane. Like, how, it's like, like how did the anyone... CIA planting him in in uh, in Hollywood like fucking Manson at Haight Ashbury is one of the more plausible explanations for how he became a fucking action star. Because yeah. like, you know it. it it might not just be cocaine that like Michael Ovitz and like some of the most powerful people in Hollywood just all of a sudden said of this man, he's one of the most magnetic and charismatic individuals I've ever come across. Something Um, else, something else going on here. Yeah. I, um, I hope there's a church committee, but just for Steven Seagal's career. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, Like who was responsible for these motherfuckers under oath. Yeah. And you know, if you subpoenaed him, I'm sure you would tell the truth under oath yeah absolutely well like yeah if his him being a movie star was a cia project like yeah all you'd have to do is ask him he would be so happy to talk about that totally forthcoming no they'd like they'd be like you know uh like (laughs) elizabeth warren i'm mad mr seagal the american people are mad they want to know were you in the cia and then he goes i can neither confirm nor deny any motherfucking supposition made by this committee. <laughs> and then the next follow-up question will be like, no, seriously, were you in the CIA? And then he just go, yes, I was. <laughs> yeah. It would be like he his back and forth with Liz Warren would be like at the start of General Commander where he's like, you do not believe to know, to begin to believe the things I motherfucking did for this country that people like you don't like to think about that they could not do, could imagine themselves doing. Like, he uses, like, the most prepositions ever in a sentence. It's, like, the most confusing shit ever said. Uh, he would... Elizabeth Warren would really need Respiradol after that. <laughs> so there we go. That's that's just another chamber unlocked in the, uh, the, the strange life and career of Steven Seagal. Yeah. But uh, before we go today... Um, I know. I know you've heard from me. You've heard from Chris uh, about promoting this upcoming uh, Frequency Fest, and Frequency is like a you know new streaming platform that is helping both artists and venues uh, weather this storm and continue to have you know live music and comedy uh, be a thing you can make money doing. So I just wanted to ask Dan, like you know, you were sort of one of the one of the creators of like you know th- th- this whole thing, this Frequency thing, and I was just wondering. Like, how'd you, like, where did this idea come from? And just why do you think it's important? Well, I got approached by um, my friend Zale, who runs uh, what I would say is the best festival uh, of its size in, in the States, this festival called Pickathon, which I played, you know, three or four times. Uh, very fair towards artists, like a super fun place to play, watch shows. And he he brought this frequency platform idea to me and I came on as kind of a creative consultant and then like an artistic consultant. And then Chris and I started talking about putting together like just a killer lineup of podcasts and bands and, and the ethos behind it, you know, cause it all came out of last year's like darkest COVID period, basically when everything was shut down and the ethos behind it is essentially 
Yeah, just getting artists paid, getting getting people paid and putting on like a live show that is maybe not you know that you you can watch from at home, but it's not, you know, something that you can just tap into uh whenever you like. It's not like uh archive forever on YouTube. Like you actually have to be there and you can interact with your friends at at this at this show. But I mean, like, even absent, like, uh, what COVID has done to music venues, and certainly if you're, like, a touring musical act, but, like, in terms of the way festivals have, you know, previously been run for the most part, like, I mean, like, how, like how, how badly do they rip off the, the, the artists who perform with them? And, like, and how is Frequency a different model? Well, I mean, one thing that's good about Frequency is that Ticketmaster is not involved. So, uh, basically, you know, whenever, whenever you play a live show or you work with a festival, there are, there are a lot of sort of parasitical organizations attached to uh, how the money gets from ticket sales to you, the artist, you know. And, and Frequency kind of eliminates a lot of that. So if you're yeah if you're a fan of an act that like you know when you're when you're paying the ticket price like you know mm-hmm. it's like it's going to you know pay so that 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 act that group that podcast whatever is um make, you know making a living doing what they do yeah yeah exactly and it's uh, a lot of the venues that people people know and love you know people love to play people love to go to are out you know are are either on the verge of going out of business or have been you know, shuttered after COVID. So the post COVID landscape, like once everything opens up, it's not great. Like, like it's, it's definitely not as, um, touring is such a big part of how artists make money that, that the loss that COVID sort of laid on, on, on this network of, of independent venues is going to be really felt. And hopefully something like frequency can mitigate that, you know, that you can, you, you can throw a put on an insane lineup and and you know uh, you can you can see this show with your friends. Yeah, but like I mean, I I, I know you're probably sick of hearing us plug this, but it's going to be a really fun event. And if you haven't got tickets for it already, I think like you should you should definitely check it out. It's going to be a a fun day. You know, five, five musical acts, five podcasts. I mean, it's, it can't be beat. It's going to be very fun, and um, we're really happy to be doing it with you. Ticket links in the episode description. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that I can actually be there in person because I'm getting vaccinated next week. So. <laughs> okay, best of luck with that. I, Dan Beckner, thanks once again for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.